everyone, and welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. On this episode, stay home and acquire Mindville. I'm your host, Ryan Spilkin, and I'm joined today by Matthew Stubblefield. Hi, Matthew. Good to see you, Ryan. And it's good to see you as well. Brenda couldn't make it this week. She's off on an adventure of intrigue and suspense. So, Matthew, how's, uh, how's staying at home going? It's been, what, 11 years now, and, uh, you know, it's, the last it's, podcast. it's heating up. Think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely, um, uh, it's, it's wearing a bit more, especially here in the Midwest where I live, where we're, uh, we're, we're starting to see an upswing in cases again. Um, and, uh, but you know, I'm really grateful to be able to stay at home, to work from home, to be in a, a field that that facilitates us and, and, and to be working for a company that, you know, prioritizes our health and lets us do that. Absolutely. And speaking of companies that prioritize health and letting their employees choose what's best for them. As if I just handed you that segue. <laughs> it was, it was really a nicely pitched softball. Setting that up. <laughs> Atlassian has announced that their staff can now stay home forever. They can work wherever they choose whenever they choose, however they choose. Um, and interestingly, we found this through media. This was, this was what you might call earned media because it was everywhere. They just put out a public yeah. uh, PR note and people picked it up. Well, we, we tried to find a press release. We tried to find a blog post from Atlassian. Instead, we'll, we'll link to Business Insider on this. And uh, I think this is a, a really smart move by Atlassian, not just because of taking care of their employees and obviously the health needs and, and quarantine needs, but I know at Adaptus, we've definitely experienced being able to hire people wherever, wherever you find the talent uh, means you get the best people. Like you're, you're not limited geographically. And so this is also a very good business move for Atlassian going forward. It's I think going to expand the pool of professionals that they can, can draw from as they continue to grow. Quite reasonable. And one of the reasons that Adaptivist is also, you know, fully remote. We'll, we'll get to an office when we get to an office. Know what I mean? Someday, someday. <laughs> and uh, along with the news that Atlassian is going to let employees work remotely, uh, literally the day after our last recording, as is so often the case, very typical, uh, typical Atlassian, uh, not taking our, our schedule into account, uh, Atlassian acquired Mindville, uh, makers of Insight. For those of you who have heard about Insight in the past, it is a Jira add-on. Maybe you haven't. That's okay. Uh, originally made by a company called Riata. Uh, Riata split. Uh, so the services side was uh, stayed with Riata. The product side moved to Mindville. So you may have heard of Riata Insight in the past. It actually won an award uh, from the last several years ago as the president's technical uh, award. Uh, but yeah, Insight's brilliant. It's for um, like asset management, asset tracking. And Atlassian's acquired it. It will be part of this. I do wonder, Ryan, if the the remote work forever is driven a little bit by these continued acquisitions by Atlassian because uh, Mindville is uh, what, what country are they originally from? Yeah. Sweden. Sweden. I, I yeah. hope I'm right. Um, <laughs> I, I believe they're Swedish and um, longtime podcast listeners might remember that we actually had the Riata CEO, Tommy Nordahl on when um, Atlassian added the asset mm -hmm. management field into the, was it the cloud? I think it was cloud service desk, maybe. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. or maybe it was just your core. But uh, thinking back to that episode, whatever number it was, uh, <laughs> 37 years ago, um, <laughs> I recall I was surprised because Tommy was like, oh, I'm not worried about this. I think it's, I think it's fine. Yeah, he, he uh, actually wonder, saw it as a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, Tommy, the offer is uh, is out. Do you want to come and talk about the future of Insight? Atlassian Insight, presumably. Yeah, you got our you got our emails, Tommy. Let's 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 chat. So to continue the trend of Atlassian letting people stay at home, there are some changes to that home when it comes to the Atlassian design system. Mm. See what I did there? Oh yeah, I'm I renovating. do. It looks good. Cleaning it up. <laughs> uh, so the Atlassian design system is is something that's really only relevant to developers. If you're a plugin developer, um, if you're working with the like the Atlassian development toolkit, you're having to work within the Atlassian design guidelines. Um, Atlassian's really kind of pulling together a few different things that have grown over the last year or two uh, into one, creating better user experience. Um, this is not something that's typically on our radar, uh, or at least not on mine. It was raised by our uh, head of user experience at uh, Adaptivist UX and UI, and uh, um, says this is really good news. Um, this is going to make things better for us as developers. It's going to make things better for customers. One of the things to call out, though, that is key if you are a plugin developer, is that Elastian is migrating from Sketch to Figma. So Sketch is a um, I don't know what, you, what you'd call it, Ryan, like a graphic design. It- it's a vector-based editor. Yeah. Okay. I know that. I know that um, our head of UX Gunners, um, he does a lot of his wi- like not like high fidelity, like not wireframing, but high fidelity interface design and sketch. Um, Atlassian is moving to Figma, which means that um, the sketch library of Atlassian design stuff will be deprecated, no longer supported. It'll be available in Figma libraries going forward. Figma is a another you know sort of proprietary tool. Um, Interestingly, I was telling Gunners just a couple of weeks ago that I'd been looking at Figma because it's simple enough I can use it, uh, <laughs> which is nice, uh, whereas Sketch is, is sort of unapproachable for me. And I, I suspect that's part of what's driving the last decision here is that it does make it a bit more approachable for a wider uh, population. You know, the important thing here is is one of the last lines in this article. Uh, this will lead to accessibility improvements to make the site more accessible, usable, and inclusive. And that's Put, keeping that mm-hmm. uh, in my in in their sites is really important. Yeah, so this isn't just for plugins. It's like this is influencing how Atlassian approaches design as well, um, and that's their web properties, their products, everything. It's it's all tied together, and it and it helps us tie into that ecosystem. And if there's one place that you can see Atlassian's devotion to their design come to life, it's in their cloud product, and they've got a whole bunch of updates that have rolled out in the last couple of weeks. Let's start with the Jira platform, where issue limits and exclusions are now used to create a more accurate roadmap. So this feature for the roadmapping in the Jira platform is going to cut the load times a little bit and display less issues to get a little bit more of a current view of the actions that are going on in your roadmap. While you're looking at what's going on in your roadmap, you can now add and use custom emojis on the Jira platform. So uh, for all you party parrots people <laughs> out there, and if you're not part of the cult of party parrot. Yeah. And I think the key thing with the roadmap, I think the heading, the title here of a more accurate roadmap is a little Misleading. disingenuous. It's, mm. it's 
their statement in the description is to more accurately reflect your workload because you're not actually working on tens of thousands of issues. Uh, it's really about load times. It's it's decreasing the number so it loads more quickly. Uh, the accuracy thing seems to be a bit more marketing spin than uh, what's yeah. actually happening here. Yeah. I, I would also say that any time that you save uh, with your load times on the roadmap, it's probably going to be taken up by all your custom emojis. So it's kind of a walk. <laughs> <laughs> You're also able to check a request field before allowing your agents to uh, transition it from a on-service desk. Really, what this is is a validator. This is a validator. It mm. checks to make sure that data in a field is correct, and then we'll let your agent do any transitioning that needs to be done. Always feels good to be validated, though. Yeah, feels it's it's just a warm fuzz, nice. you know. Uh, real yeah. nice. There's also an epic panel in the backlog, so now that you now in your next gen projects, you'll be able to manage a, your epics just like you were always able to do in Jira. And finally, they've implemented a, a feature in Agile boards that has been in server since day one, and that is the definition of done being the rightmost column in your board. So once an issue hits the rightmost column, it is done, done, D-U-N, done for realsies. On Confluence, there's only one new feature rolling out, and that's sticky table headers that will now no longer scroll out of view. Just a nice touch. Finally, over in Bitbucket, we've got updates to the dashboard or landing pages where pull requests, issues, and snippets of information will now display items from all the workspaces that your you as a user have access to. So you're going to be able to see a whole lot more when you log into Bitbucket Cloud. You're also will be able to automatically merge a pull request when all checks pass. So uh, make sure that your tests are robust. Finally, there are annotations in pull requests for your code insights in Bitbucket Cloud, where uh, you can just see what notes have been written on a pull request in the view diff. We investigated the documentation around this, and it's pretty sparse, but it really just looks like you can turn on and turn off the the comments. Matthew, does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah so uh, annotations are, are things that you're... you're they're not really like an inline comment. Like it's not quite right to think of them that way, though. It's there's some similarity, but it's it's something that you're putting into the code. Maybe you're pushing it with a you know a, a curl or something. Um, that's for you to be able to read, right? So like I want to annotate and say this section uh, maybe relates to a security vulnerability. This section relates to uh, this piece of code in a different product. We've got an integration we need to be aware of. Um, and so it's making it just where you can see that through Bitbucket and then making it where you can turn those on and off so you could hide them uh, if you don't want to see them um, through the web interface, which is which is nice. Yeah. And that's it for the cloud. What's what's happening over in Serverville? So Confluence 762 has been released as of 27 July 2020. There are a few bugs I want to talk about. Uh, both because they're important and because one is just really funny to me. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> first one, uh, uh, sort of highest priority, major severity bug, um, Jira issue macro uh, was not displaying custom fields, at least some, um, after upgrading 741 to Confluence 75. So this bug is fixed in 762. It's actually impacting some older versions uh, of Confluence and specifically it says some fields were... Um, missing so what's got to be tricky with this one is it's 
it happens sort of inconsistently and it happens a while after the upgrade. It's not immediate. Um, so having experienced some, some, some sort of weird bugs recently, uh, with my own product learned for Jira, uh, and working through that so many kudos to the team that worked on this, those, those intermittent bugs are, are real painful. Um, if you are on, uh, Confluence 741 through really anything before 762, uh, and you're using Jira issue macros and seeing this type of thing, um, this upgrade should fix it for you. A small one for a widget connector for Google Map. Um, when you're on HTTPS, it wasn't displaying. I This one's my vague amusement, slight amusement, because this is something I dealt with <laughs> back in 2007 when I first started you know, being a, a Confluence admin. Like HTTP and HTTPS conflicts, it is the year 2020, and we still haven't got this solved. Um, <laughs> but in Confluence Server and Data Center, there's now a fix in, in 762 that addresses for Google Maps. For now. And the last one, my favorite one. <laughs> the Jira uh, macro insert button. If you have a Jira custom field with the word length in it, <laughs> then the insert button will be disabled when trying to insert a macro that uh, uh, includes a... <laughs> Presumably an issue filter where you've got a custom field with the word length in it. Um, the uh, <laughs> What appears to be happening here is that the custom field, when being interpreted by the macro, is being misinterpreted as a call to the array.length method. Uh, and so it doesn't <laughs> let you insert. And this is just... And I'm not... I'm laughing out of sympathy. I'm not yeah. laughing at... I'm laughing with... Yeah. Um, so we just spent a month diagnosing a bug with Learn for Jira that was a very similar issue. An array was being called when you clicked a button. It was resulting in a pop-up error. And it came down to an older version of Chrome that didn't know how to interpret this for some reason. And it was just this, it was Chrome version 80. Like it was very specific. It was pulling it as an array. Uh, why? I don't know. And it wasn't even like every Chrome 80. Because, like, when we install Chrome 80, it wasn't happening. It's certain environments with... So, like, these types of things, they're crazy. So many kudos to the developers of the world figuring this out, making our software work better. Uh, so, that's 762. Uh, if you have a Jira custom field named length, you need this upgrade. This is so funny because... All three of these issues, uh, all three of the bugs that were resolved here, it's like they're all stereotypical coding jokes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like mm -hmm. it's a highly selective use case. It's a super, they're all just, <laughs> it, it didn't work until it did kind of things. That's fantastic. Yeah. 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 And a handful of other bugs fixed as well. Uh, now, maybe you're already upgraded to 762. You're looking for the next big thing on August 2nd. Uh, last seen announced Confluence Server 7.7 beta is available now. Um, if this is like previous betas, there's a pretty good chance in the next podcast in two weeks we'll be talking about 7.7 and everything that has uh, come out uh, with that. You can see the release notes. We'll link to sort of the high-level thing, and then you can click through. Um, Re-indexing in a cluster, making that better. Some things with uh, webhooks in Confluence. Um, I'm obviously reading this as I talk. We're doing it live. I'm doing it live. The upgraded editor, I think, is going to be one of the ones I really want to get my hands on. Uh, this is both data center and server. Um, 
you could, you could tell here I'm more of a Confluence end user these days. So I'm like, ah, there's some indexing, there's some other stuff. Ooh, a seamless editing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of copying and pasting, insert stuff, um, keyboard shortcuts, um, supposedly will will have some improvements there um, that makes it a, a lot better in the upgraded editor. Uh, page properties report um, and performance improvements. Uh, I, I think it's interesting now. It says the macro can now display a maximum of 3,000 pages. 3,000 was also that magic number for the roadmaps uh, change uh, in cloud that we just talked about. It, it was maximum 3,000. I'm uh, Maybe someday we'll find out why 3,000 was the number that it lasting settled on for all these things. But uh, It's a nice round number. Yeah. Maybe it's a shout out to Andre 3,000. Mm. If that's not true, I'm going to choose to believe it is. And the, the last upgrade note um, to mention here, there is a new data center apps check as part of a license upgrade. So that's kind of nice to just have that baked into Confluence uh, as, you're, as you're doing an upgrade of your, your license, as you're making changes, having it do some of those checks for you to determine if license is compatible or not, notifying you in advance. Staying in the server world and turning to Bitbucket on 11 August, we've got Bitbucket server 7.5. Woo! No gifts, though. You know, Ryan, sometimes the gifts, they're just in your heart. And you just have to believe, you know. When I see the static screenshot for audit log filtering by summary, I just imagine, I can imagine seeing that drop-down pop and seeing the check marks, the check boxes filled in and seeing it. Like, I just... You just close your eyes. It's the gifts beautiful. are in my heart, Ryan. I just close my <laughs> eyes and I can see that audit log filtering by summary with drop downs for for different things. It's pretty sweet. Um, and the integrated CI/CD optimizations. Um, I'm really curious to see where this heads long term. Back in Bitbucket seven four, we talked about this before. Um, uh, adding improved integration with. Uh, Jenkins and, and Bamboo and adding more integration with Bitbucket and, and providing more visibility into this. There's the builds page and the builds tab. Uh, one, this is super nice. Like I use these tools as a, as a product manager to give me end-to-end visibility of what's going on with tests and releases and, and the code and everything else. Here's, here's what I wonder long-term um, because we're already seeing in the cloud uh, Bitbucket pipelines kind of, I mean, that kind of is bamboo in the cloud, right? Yeah, that's your test. That's your CICD there. Um, we're starting to see at a reporting level, build stuff come into Bitbucket. And I do wonder if uh, eventually, this is, this is what we often call on the podcast, wild speculation. Wild, but uh, it's, you're, not, you're not going to bridge too far, I don't think. I mean, I probably am. I mean, Bamboo does just a billion things. I don't think it's going to be merged with Bitbucket. Not really. But when I start to see build stuff in here and I start to wonder, hmm, hmm, Hmm. we'll see. Um, At any rate, the reporting, just super nice. I want sort of a shout out to you product managers or or maybe like tech leads out there because I'm encountering more and more people who aren't tying together Jira, Bitbucket, and Bamboo. If you've got these three tools, it is so easy to tie them together. And the visibility you get in the Jira release hub, you know, you, so you associate your Jira issues with the release. You go to the, the release hub to look at the version, see the build state, see the state of the code review and pull requests, see if it's merged, see if it's done, being able to click through and see the builds. It is so helpful. And it makes 
you know, analysis and decision-making so fast. Uh, you really owe it to yourself to, to tie these tools together, take advantage of it. And so in the latest version of Bitbucket server, taking a look at that uh, builds tab when you're looking at a branch or a pull request in this case, um, really nice. And here I was thinking I was fancy, you know, using Jira macros and Confluence. You know, it's, it's all, it's just baby steps. <laughs> it's all on the path to greatness, Ryan. <laughs> Some bug fixes and whatnot there, none of which uh, tickled my fancy enough to talk about like I did with the Confluence ones, particularly a fix for the audit log that I think is worthwhile and support for Git 228 for any of you who are just ready and raring to upgrade your, your version of Git. Last server update I'll talk about is advanced roadmaps. 3.29.1 point release to the point release. So we got some uh, minor bug fixes. I think the the notable one here for me is uh, the forecasted velocity fails if user added to a team. So velocity is always tricky when you're changing team members, anyways. Like that's obviously going to change how the team, like the team dynamics, communication, and whatnot. Um, but if you've got data in the system, you know you you want to see something. More importantly, it was throwing an error in the UI. So regardless of how accurate the data is, you don't want an error coming up. Uh, so, you know, the workaround of just remove people from the team was not ideal. No. Uh, so fixing this bug, reducing that error, that's awesome. Um, performance improvements, like we continue to see all over the place. Advanced Roadmaps 329, no reason to not go click that upgrade button, get that in place for you. Speaking of fixing things that are broken, we finally <laughs> might have a usable fix to Trello accounts. They have implemented an account switcher. Yay! So this, this is the story that we've been tracking, or this is maybe the final chapter in a story that we've been tracking. 78 years now. Yeah. Wow. I thought that was just since it last <laughs> acquired Trello. Um, the, now Trello finally has an account switcher where you are able to uh, switch off from your work account to perhaps a personal one. Because believe it or not, there are people out there who use Trello for both home and work. Like Matthew and I, who use Trello for both home and work. Indeed, quite heavily. And, and this isn't just tied to Atlassian's acquisition of Trello, which I think was three years ago now. It's, it's been a while, three or four maybe. Um, but it was the shift earlier this year. That was just this year, I think, uh, for Trello to use the Atlassian ID for authentication. It's now August. It's been, we're eight months into this year. I think, I think the authentication switch was this year. Ryan's giving me this quizzical look over Zoom here. I, um, but time we, is I, just we can so look back to our show notes. I yeah, know. <laughs> time is so meaningless that I can't. So the, really? We, yeah, but we have talked about it several times. Yeah, the, the switch to Atlassian ID um, and then. Uh, making it where effectively companies owned your Trello account. Like that was really disruptive and they've been working through that for a while. So they automated the process for splitting out your personal and work accounts, creating a new personal account, migrating boards over. Um, it worked perfectly for me. I've talked to other people where it did not work perfectly and it caused a lot of problems. There've been businesses that have been hit with sizable potential bills uh, because it's like all of a sudden they had 70,000 Trello users they didn't know about because everybody had set up personal accounts with their work email address. So yeah, the, the switcher will hopefully be nice. Um, I'm particularly keen to give it a try on mobile. They do have a, a screenshot. Again, no GIF. This would be a perfect opportunity for GIF. And unfortunately, 
my imagination isn't getting me there for it's this one. It's in your one. heart, Matthew. Uh, it's the gifts so in your heart. I, I look forward to to giving this a try in mobile to switch between um, between those accounts. I mean, we're we're using Trello right now for uh, this podcast. We put our our stories into it. I'm literally clicking buttons during this podcast trying to figure out how I switch which account I'm logged into with. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I haven't updated my desktop version more recently enough to have it, but I hopefully don't it soon. Yet. Hopefully, yeah. Maybe maybe it'll show up soon for us because that's that's a feature I need. <laughs> Same, and I need it fast. We need it fast because we've got to keep up with the changing world. Uh, and Bitbucket Cloud, sorry, we're taking you back to the cloudy days of, I don't know, 15 minutes ago. Um, but uh, <laughs> on the Bitbucket blog, speeding up Bitbucket Cloud with AWS Global Accelerator. That's the title here. What does it mean? If you're using Bitbucket in the cloud, it's going to get faster. Uh, and uh, this is one of those things that um, for a lot of you, you know, uh, you don't actually need to know about. There's nothing you need to do. There's no action you need to take. But we wanted to let you know because I, I think it's nice that Atlassian continues to focus on this and drive these improvements. Um, they're reporting an average of 20% improvement in full transaction times. Some countries, some locations, 140% improvement in throughput. So that's like massive. That's taking something from three seconds down to um, you know, like one and a half uh, or or one second um, response time, which is really, really nice. This should impact your Git experience as well. So in terms of pushing files up, um, I've definitely had this sometimes with larger commits. Uh, so that'll be, um, that'll be faster. So starting from September 15th onwards, you'll start to experience these improvements. Uh, if you have a firewall in place, this is where this might be pertinent. Or if your organization has one in place that impacts Bitbucket, if you're doing um, like IP whitelisting or something, there are some new IPs or IP ranges that you will need to address. So we will link to the blog post in the show notes. Um, take a look, get this to your network team, security, whoever's running your firewall. I mean, chances are you're at home. So you're running your own firewall. But for, for people who are in an office or people in the future who have for a reason decided to listen to this podcast, make sure you're, you're whitelisting this range of IPs. My guess is um, if you don't have these IPs allowed... Uh, your performance won't change. Bitbucket will still work, but you're not going to get the benefits that you could be getting uh, because of the uh, Amazon Accelerator. So uh, take a look, do some firewall changes, enjoy the future. And finally on this episode, we've got some news from Adaptivist. Joining us to discuss the news is our global head of professional services, Mike Mayu. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks, Ryan. Great to see you, Mike. So, Adaptivist has been named a member of Atlassian's Government Partner Program. What does that mean exactly? Well, the Atlassian uh, Verified Government Partner Program uh, is an initiative that Atlassian created to support the public sector clients um, as they have uh, you know, specific security, technical, and regulatory requirements um, and procurement. Um, so, we've gone through a specialist training and have the uh, internal resources to meet the unique demands of government entities including uh, knowledge of government contracting and, like I said, kind of the funding process or the procurement process. All right, Mike. Why is it important for these public sector and government agencies to invest in services that we offer, like for digital transformation? Well, you know, traditionally, uh, government agencies have been, 
you know, they've worked within data centers and kind of more classic architectures, just like in the private sector. Um, this doesn't scale with today's internet technologies and, you know, the necessary uh, user experiences. Um, so the transformational demand is there and uh, government agencies um, and suppliers, you know, they're embracing digital transformation projects to become more collaborative, uh, customer centric and agile, just like the private sector. Um, and we at Adapterist, you know, we understand the unique needs of public sector organizations uh, from, like I said, procurement all the way to technical and sometimes the unique um, security requirements. It's not uh, just a web app anymore. I mean, it's uh, web, mobile, bots, chat, you know, there's so much more to uh, the digital technologies that, that government agencies have out in, in, the, uh, in the interwebs these days. <laughs> Absolutely. So what are some of the ways that we can help government customers? So, yeah, there's uh, four pretty awesome words, collaboration, cloud, um, agility, and DevOps. And uh, so, you know, with collaboration, we like to improve cross-department collaboration through scale and uh, productivity services. Uh, with cloud, we like to take a cloud-first strategy um, and enablement abilities uh, that we can help help them, you know, design kind of their approach to how they're, they're going to uh, be a cloud, cloud first uh, entity. And, um, and then the agility, uh, you know, obviously we do transformational services around agile and safe uh, and uh, Jira line as well. Uh, DevOps is a service, you know, we, we like to uh, deep dive deep on the DevOps strategies and uh, around continuous delivery and security and DevSecOps uh, infrastructures, code, automation, and, and, and monitoring. So it's kind of all those things and all of those fall into play with today's development life cycle and, and what, what really um, is kind of an, uh, an agile cloud-first strategy with, um, with the ability to deliver at a higher rate of speed um, with precision and monitoring. So. Mike, if any of our listeners are or have contacts in government agencies, how should they get a hold of us? Adaptivist.com. All right, Mike Mayu, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Adaptivist Live. Thank you so much for listening. Do you have a question? Do you want to reach out to us? You got an article we should be talking about? Share it with us on social at Adaptivist. We're heading up to our 100th episode, and there's a survey we'd love you to take. If you take that survey, you could be entered into a drawing for one of three $100 gift cards. So find that link in the show notes. Fill out the old survey. Let us know what's up. For Matthew Stubblefield, I'm Ryan Spilkin, and we'll see you next time on Adaptivist Live. Right. I have another story to talk about. Fast. <laughs> <laughs>